Hey everybody, welcome to Renewing the Center. This is Chris McDaniel, and it's great to be with you uh, here on the podcast. Uh, We're going to continue our series, uh, which is funny uh, that I'm having a series here on the podcast. Our typical rhythm here at Renewing the Center is to engage in the daily lectionary in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. But here for the next little bit of time, we're going to be exploring questions God asks in the Bible. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was um, I felt nudged by the Holy Spirit to begin to do a little bit of research on uh, various questions. And so we're now four uh, episodes into this series, and I'm finding a ton of life in some of these reflections, and I'm hoping uh, that the same is true for you. So I'm going to read one very short verse in, from Genesis 3, and then we're going to uh, pray and then step into a brief reflection. Uh, You're most likely listening to this episode during the Lenten season. I've recorded it during the Lenten season, and so it's a great opportunity to to hold, I think, this question God asks. Genesis 3.13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, We ask you to help us to hear the questions that you ask. We pray, God, that as we hold um, these ideas that it's not just us who ask questions of you or of one another, but that there are these critical junctures in life where you, Lord, look at us and you ask us questions. You put something before us uh, and we're meant to respond, reflect and respond. I pray that you would give us the grace to do that today, that we would hold this question What is this you have done? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So you're probably familiar with this story. Uh, We're early in the narrative of the Bible, and the first humans have been put in a garden, and it's beautiful, and it's abundant, and they've been given uh, all all this opportunity to flourish. There's no shame in the story. And things go off the rails. Uh, It's telling, isn't it, that in the biblical narrative, it only takes three short chapters, just a few hundred words before the story goes south. As I mentioned earlier, we are in the season of Lent, and we're invited during the season of Lent to uh, focus on our sin, to hold the reality that we have sinned. And you maybe aren't in a liturgical tradition. I certainly didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition. And so for me, Lent was new when I w- began my journey into Anglicanism. And over the years, it it has become one of the most significant treasures in my spiritual walk with God, because Lent is all about an intentional choice to follow Jesus into the wilderness Uh, It's a period of wilderness wandering before the gift of Easter comes to us. It's a season of preparation. And one of the things that Christians are invited to do during the Lenten season is to repent of our sin. And we're we're meant to look at our sin, our brokenness, uh, where we have erred, and we're meant to ask the Holy Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus for forgiveness and so that's what we're doing right now. When when the first human sin, the question God asks is, what is this you have done? Essentially, what, what did you do? What is your sin? So before we answer the question or engage that question God puts to us, I think it's important for us to reflect on, well, what is sin in the first place? 
Uh, in the New Testament, the language around sin is hamartia. It means to miss the mark. So it's essentially like an archery term. It means you aim and you missed. Um, it doesn't mean you liked it. It doesn't mean you planned it. It just means you missed. You missed the mark. You missed the bullseye. You missed the best place, the best thing. So how did these first people, Adam and Eve, man and woman, how did they miss it's so instructive that at the beginning of our Bible, we're given a bit of a tutorial on what happens and how humans fall short of the goodness and the plan that God has for them. The Lord gives them this beautiful place. He gives them a boundary place. And he says, you can eat of everything in this garden, but there's this one thing I want you to abstain from that one thing. So what we see in the human condition is there is freedom, but a boundary within the freedom. God's not withholding good things from these first humans. He's just saying, there's this one thing I want you to abstain from. And what happens is, is that the enemy, the adversary enters into the story and begins to sow doubt. Did God really say, the serpent says, um, the, the enemy suggests that uh, humans will be enlightened in a way that God's intimidated or threatened by if they were to go to do the one thing they shouldn't do. And as soon as they partake of the fruit of the tree that they're told not to partake from, shame enters the story. We're told in the biblical narrative that their eyes are opened and that they see that they're naked. And what do they do? They hide. They hide from God. They hide from one another. And then they try to create clothing to cover their own shame and sin. You guys, sin enters the story and it messes everything up. The primary thing that sin does in this instance is it impedes and destroys intimacy. We're told that they go from being naked and unashamed to being full of shame and hiding from one another and trying to cover their nakedness. And so when God comes to them, when he approaches them in their shame, he asks them a very important question. And I don't think it's it's not rhetorical because they actually answer the question. God says, what is this you have done? We're taught in the scripture that sin separates us from God, that sin puts space between us and God. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think we have um, a, a new kind of sin problem in the Christian church. And by, by that, I mean, I don't think we talk about or think about or reflect upon name our sin nearly as much as we should. And some of that is because we, and maybe you are, this is true of you. I, th I think it's been true of me at various junctures in my life. We are reacting to what at other junctures in church history has been an overemphasis on sin, a kind of like browbeating, beat you up mean, you're a worm, you're a sinner. And so what happens is that in some corners of the church, we've moved so far away from naming our sin because we don't want to beat ourselves up. And yet the reality remains. When we sin, we put space between us and God. Sin hurts us. It also hurts the heart of God because he wants to have intimacy. He wants to have contact with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so sin actually, it injures, it wounds. And so when the Lord asks, what is this you have done? He wants his human friends to name the thing that's got in the way, not to make excuses, but to name it. 
And I believe that there's a similar invitation before us and maybe during this Lenten season. And if you're listening to this podcast, like kind of roughly on time, you're in the midst of the wilderness wandering of Lent. And that invitation during Lent to name our sin is so important, so significant. In the Anglican tradition, we have uh, this prayer of confession that in, in many of our churches, we, we pray every single week. Before we come to the communion table, before we're fed by God, we confess our sin. And a part of that prayer is goes something like this. We confess that we have sinned by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart, and we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And I love that language because what the language of the confessional prayer does is it expands our understanding of sin. Sin is both experience through sins of commission, right? The things we've done, uh, a behavior, an action, an act of violence, an act of anger, an act of lust, an overindulgence regarding our appetites. Those are sins of commission. And y'all, they're pretty easy to spot. Like if you do something, uh, you oftentimes know that it was wrong and, and other people around you also know that it's wrong. But we're also taught to confess and reflect upon and name sins of omission, things we failed to do. And sins of omission are harder to spot. Failing to love someone as you should. Failing to step up in a courageous place of fidelity and solidarity with a friend or a loved one or a people group, that's harder to spot. Sins of omission are easier to ignore and maybe easier to minimize. And so we're taught to name our sin. It's like when the Lord looks at me and says, what is this you have done? My first instinct is to reflect upon where have I sinned through sins of commission and sins of omission. And I believe that the invitation for you and me today I believe that the truest way we can engage this question that God asks, this question, what is this you have done, is to spend time confessing our sin, confessing our sin to God, a God who loves us, who cares for us, a God who longs to heal us and forgive us. I mean, what does God do in this story in Genesis 3? Sure, there are consequences to their sin, and yet the Lord covers them. He creates permanent clothing to cover their shame so that they would come out of hiding. But only when we answer the question, what is this you have done? So I want to challenge you right now. I want to invite you right now in this space to spend some time meditating upon where have I sinned? Where have I missed the mark through things I've done and in ways that maybe I failed to engage, things I failed to do? I believe the Lord will meet you in that place. That is his deepest desire. So let's hold that question today. What is this you have done? God bless you. We'll see you soon.